Welcome to Because You Need to Know. I am Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. This series is your digital resource of valuable conversations with nonprofit and knowledge management enthusiasts from across industries and from around the globe. Back in the studio, we have Dr. Irma Becerra, the seventh president of Marymount University. She is a nationally recognized educator known for innovation, entrepreneurship, and transformational education. After just one year of being the president of Marymount, she has launched the university's new strategic plan, added market-driven academic programs that prioritize career preparation, and improved the university's IT infrastructure through the implementation of Workday. As society rolls along here, as it is, um, what makes a good citizen? Uh, 21st century skill set? Um, that's an excellent question. And I, I want to relate for a second to some of my experience having been through a number of hurricanes and how I have seen that relating perhaps at a bigger scale with what we're going through with uh, the COVID-19 global pandemic. Uh, one of the things I had observed in the few hurricanes that I've been to, through is that I have seen the best in humanity emerge at times of crisis. I remember distinctively uh, during uh, Hurricane Andrew how so many of our neighbors came out, just gave each other food because some people had excess food and others had less food. And we started having potluck dinners among neighbors in oftentimes had not had a chance to meet each other before the hurricane. So I think that I'm seeing that actually at a bigger scale as we are responding to the coronavirus. And for example, I'm so proud of our Marymount faculty and staff that they have done everything possible, not only to move the university to an, a, a new mode of online delivery that we could only have imagined that it could be possible, but at the same time, their willingness to do what's necessary to help others. We have donated personal protection equipment to hospitals, gloves and masks. Uh, we have faculty that are making face shields with their 3D printers. We have faculty in our fashion design program sewing masks either by hand or with our sewing machines to create protective uh, equipment mm. for healthcare workers and even some of our employees that are still on campus. So I never cease to be inspired by how people jump into action to help others in times like this. Mm. And that is what I think of when it comes to the citizenry of the 21st century, where we have a public that is not focused on themselves, but in, on the well-being of the collective. I think this pandemic has shown us a lot of big lessons. First of all, on how interconnected we are with this disease. At first, we thought it was only going to affect certain demographics, right. certain type of workers. But if we've been able to see that coronavirus doesn't discriminate, it affects everybody. No one is exempt from being exposed to this virus. And in a way, we are more similar and less different than we thought. If we think about how we all have the same 
possibility yeah. of becoming infected and ill from this disease. And it's interesting because in the early days of the pandemic, people were exhibiting hoarding behaviors and everyone was thinking about themselves. But it's interesting when it was clear, what good is it to you as an individual if you have all the Purell in your home and your hands are not contaminated, but then everyone else that you come in contact with is contaminated. Just having all the Purell in the world is not gonna save us. So it made it very clear, if you're looking at yourself in isolation, it doesn't mean that you're gonna be safe. So I think that this event has made us very clear that it has to be the collective. We have, we can't be selfish. We have to do what's best, not only for us, but for everybody else. And that is citizenry in the 21st century. Is this the first opportunity that that's become a global citizenry? I think it is the best, the best example, because whenever you have localized disasters, it really transforms the neighborhood, the state, maybe the city that experienced it, but mm -hmm. it becomes very localized and it remains very localized. I think that this event has made it very evident yeah. in a global way and, and, and how important it is to, to continue to invest in good relations with our neighbors, not only our local neighbors, but our neighbors around right. the world. Because we are neighbors. Because we are all neighbors and we're yeah. all in this beautiful planet together. It's like uh, being in a life raft. Uh, you don't get to pick who you're in a life raft with. This little blue ball is the life raft of humans for the moment. And it's probably the first really mind-bending perspective, I think, to where it will shift or hopefully shift nationalistic views and, and that sort of thing to where it is a global community. Right. And I, I don't know if you remember in the early days of knowledge management, we used to struggle with this idea that oftentimes employees at organizations were hanging on to knowledge is power and I don't want to share my knowledge because if I share my knowledge, it diminishes my value to my organization. And here we have a prime example where researchers all over the world are collaborating day and night yes. to find the cure for coronavirus. I have seen university researchers not only across our nation, but across the world. And I think yeah. this, is, this is what we used to talk about, remember, years ago. Yeah. And right. now we're seeing how important it is that we have knowledge sharing, that we all join in, in the understanding that the value of the collective, that we are all stronger if we put all our resources at the service of each other and at the service of humanity. So that begs the question, is this the fulcrum that will push and lever knowledge management into a new capacity? Well, I think uh, this is more than anything else an evidence of how significant knowledge management can be if we eliminate any kind of organizational barriers. And remember, we used to talk about barriers that existed within organizations. And, yes. and that was 
the core of a lot of the work I did for NASA, where I was, NASA as an organization, they have a number of research centers and, and labs that are at universities. And sometimes the way that proposals were put together where different centers competed for the proposals just created an environment where people were not interested in sharing because they were going to be competing for that funding later yeah. on. Competition does not foster sharing. Correct. Yes. Competition for resources does not foster sharing. I'm just thinking uh, about those days, and it's not its not like it's been hundreds of years, <laughs> maybe a couple of decades. And, and even if I look at our acad academia, there used to be a time where if you collaborated in a paper with too many authors and people say, well, what was your contribution? Maybe this paper doesn't count because you were collaborating with all these authors. How do we know that you were not freeloading on everybody else? <laughs> and, and look how different now. If you come up with a cure for coronavirus and you're working with 500 other researchers, who cares? Yeah. You found the cure. So I think it's interesting because our own ways that we used to have in, even in academic circles to to value intellectual contributions are being challenged so what's the future well i i can i can tell you because i've been thinking about that that the future after coronavirus is going to be quite different uh, i think that this global pandemic uh, which came upon us so quickly and I'm like, in my case, you know, we moved Marymount to online and, and online teaching uh, at a university that was not primarily online teaching. And we did that in a matter of days. We moved our entire business processes to virtual and we don't even have the infrastructure yet. We are in the process of implementing a cloud-based ERP system, but we're only one third of the way in that implementation. And we had to find ways where we could all work remotely and work efficiently right. and effectively. And we did it successfully, which makes me so proud because we put first the safety of our students, the safety of our employees, and we understood that the university needed to adapt to this new normal. Mm -hmm. But what's next? I think that coronavirus will, without a doubt, change our lives. We will emerge different out of this pandemic. I think that this experience is going to make us more confident, more resilient, because I am a half full instead of half empty glass kind of person, I think it's going to make us uh, a stronger individual, stronger university, and stronger nation. It's just like you, know, you have overcome adversity in your life, and then you you look back and say, wow, how did we right. do this? And then we're just going to feel more confident about our own abilities, and, and I think it's, it, we will be different after corona. There's a significant difference, uh, in, to echo what you're saying, is because in your instance of the hurricane being a local, regional impact, goes back to what it was before, because that was a 
freak storm or it was a once off or you know you adapt you adopt you change a little bit but you probably go back to whatever was before in this circumstance where being that that's forced a boatload of people to change maybe not their perspective but at least their experience I, I think you're right. I think I think that the change is going to be everlasting or ever shifting from this point forward versus a local storm or tornado or or something very small in scale compared to this. Yeah, I agree because you know what? We've all been affected by it. So it's it, it has impacted the collective, the the, the collective mindset. Uh, will have been shifted. I think also, as I'm observing, the impact that it has had on our workforce and how knowledge workers have been less impacted than, than those that haven't had that opportunity. I'm saying, what an argument for why college education needs to be for everybody. And I know we've talked about this before, that I have been concerned about this rhetoric that college is for some and not for everybody. Well, as I look around, people that are college educated, by and large, and and of course that varies from industry to industry, but by and large have been less affected than those that are not. Mm -hmm. So I think that we need to get over some of our rhetoric about... It's a stigma, right? right. Because I come from a blue-collar family. I don't think I knew anybody that went to college other than my sister. I was a blue-collar work ethic type person, so education or higher ed was like for not for anybody I knew. That's a perception. But if they could go back and change the perception... How do you shift that paradigm to where you don't classify people right out the gate? Because that starts at an early age. Correct. Correct. And when I, when I became very preoccupied when I started hearing this conversation that college is not for everybody because the U.S. has always been, the American dream has always been about giving opportunity to those that perhaps their parents didn't have that opportunity, all the first generation students that we serve every day and we build their confidence and we tell them, this is available for you. You can do this. We're gonna walk with you until you walk across the stage. This is your moment. This is so critical. You're making an investment for the future. For all the Bahambug people that were out there saying, is college worth it? Look at now. Yeah. Look at now. Is it worth yeah. it? It just Those are the same people that have the argument that, oh, they've got a four-year degree, they're in debt, and they're serving drinks at a local restaurant. Did they look at actually moving out of the area to where the jobs are, like everybody else has to do, regardless if you have a college education or not? Yeah. And, and a college education gives you uh, choices. Nothing wrong with choosing to work at a, as a bartender because I know after you have a college degree, because maybe you really enjoy that, or maybe you want to try to write a book on mixology and this is part of your experience. <laughs> and But what I'm saying is, if you look at the opportunity to being able to pivot, even into doing something different than you were before, a college education gives you that platform. 
Yes. It gives you the opportunity to change in a better way Correct. versus not. Yes. I, I totally agree with that. Yes. Totally agree. So I think about now as the fall is approaching and students, prospective students are thinking, what should I do next? There's never been a better time to be in college. Maybe this is a time to rethink what I really would like to do for the rest of my life. How do I build a platform for myself so that I'll have options? And if I ever have to pivot, that is something that I that is within my reach. Well, as usual, a glowing conversation. Thank you very much for sharing. Thank you very much for the opportunity and looking forward to chatting so much again in the future. Because You Need to Know is designed to bring people's experience and their knowledge forward to be shared. I'm Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit tax-exempt organization with a charitable knowledge management purpose. Find us online at pioneer-ks.org and add your voice to the conversation on Facebook. Thank you.